Hello everybody, welcome to This Weird House. I am Nick Bodick, and I am here with this gentleman, Mr. Matthew M. Bartlett. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing alright, how are you? Not too bad. Excited to talk to you again. Um, yeah. I've been going back through, since I saw the ad you posted for the, uh, I believe it's the 2023 Omnibus of, uh, I think it's the WXXT. Yeah, 2022. 2022, yeah. that's it, that's it, yeah. Um, I've been going back through the 2021 version uh, yes. that, I, that I do have, which I love. Um, it's somewhere over here. Um, and I just kind of want to talk to you about the, the origins of Leeds, Massachusetts. Where did, uh, where did, where did Leeds come from? What, what brought that about? Um, when I first started writing um, the stories that are in my first book, Gateways to Abomination, um, I was writing them on LiveJournal in 04. And um, I started off describing driving through Leeds. And in reality, Leeds is a, a small village within uh, the city of Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, and so I ended up somehow using Leeds as a stand-in for all of Northampton. In other words, uh, Leeds is my fictional version of Northampton rather than in reality where it's just this little little village. And I wanted to use a kind of a wooded, uh, heavily wooded area as a lot of my, a lot of the first stories took place in, in and around uh, forests. But uh, Leeds actually, in reality, it turns out, isn't really <laughs> that heavily forested. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I like Leeds and if I probably would have otherwise used, I don't know, Chesterfield or uh, Williamsburg and those don't have the same kind of, uh, I like I like Leeds as a one syllable uh, <laughs> town name. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and uh, the cult, where, where have you drawn inspiration for, in, for blah, 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 inspiration from for the cult that populates Leeds? Uh, when I first started writing the stories, they were, it was supposed to be radio broadcasts uh, from beyond the grave, from, from the dead. And as I continued along with it, I ended up making it more like the deceased uh, occultists and uh, people of that nature who uh, lived in Leeds at the time of its founding and um in reality northampton had a uh, spiritualist uh community in it um in the early early days so i, I kind of took a little inspiration from that and you know kind of turned it uh darker made it more of a um weird cultist thing than a than a you know spiritualist society and stuff like that so it all it kind of developed organically as I was writing that I switched over from making it about uh, ghost stories to more um, uh, black magic and stuff like that. And, and um, a lot of that is because the city of Northampton always, it looks, if you squint your eyes, it looks exactly as it did in the 1800s. The only thing that's, that's different in the downtown are the, the signs and the facades and all that. Um, so it was very easy to picture, um, you know, this strange 
Massachusetts city in black and white with horses and carriages going up and down the street. And um, uh, I wrote most of these while living there. And um, so I just took daily inspiration in the old, old buildings and architecture. For sure. What, um, more kind of broadly then, where, I guess, when you started writing, what was what have been your biggest inspirations as a writer or not necessarily inspiration, but like influences like writers you've drawn from movies that you saw that really kind of formed the, I guess, I kind of want to say like atmosphere of the way you write. Cause there's a very distinct kind of feel to your writing that I don't know. It's, it feels specific. I, I don't know. I, I'm explaining this extremely poorly. Uh, the question <laughs> I'm trying probably, to ask, but <laughs> I'll probably answer poorly as well. Um, at the time I was writing most of my first book, I hadn't read a lot of contemporary uh, horror fiction. Um, so what I had read and what I was immediately influenced and inspired by was the usual suspects, Lovecraft. Um, I had just begun reading uh, Ligotti. Uh, I think at the time I was reading, uh, I'd started reading uh, Robert Aikman. Uh, and I combined those with... Um, there's a, a uh, radio monologuist, or there was a radio monologuist on the West Coast uh, called Joe Frank. And he had these very strange radio shows. Some of them were like plays, um, radio plays. Some of them were these kind of uh, strange monologues with uh, looped electronic music playing in the background. And... Some of them were sort of introspective and about, you know, the fear of, of death and things like that. And others of them were more absurdist and, and strange. Um, and so those really, those influences combined into um, uh, my writing at the beginning. Those and then you add the sort of eeriness, the natural eeriness of uh, New England uh, and Northampton in particular. Gotcha, for sure. And as you've been, you know, as you've developed as a writer, I guess, who, who do you read currently? Like what, what, what are you reading right now? Like if okay. <laughs> I, I go back and forth between, um, old anthologies, um, that have, you know, Lovecraft in them and people like that, CM Eddie, um, uh, Robert Block. Uh, and then contemporary, I read uh, uh, Laird Barron, I'm a huge fan of, Nathan Balgrud, um, John Padgett, Kurt Favre, um, Richard Gavin, um, John Langan, uh, these folks, you know, who um, can teach you a lot, I think, about, about writing. And I um, incorporate, um, I try to be as good as they are, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, when, when I was starting off, as I said, I was not reading any contemporary horror fiction. And when I started to, um, I was pleasantly surprised to find, um, you know, I had a, a Borders bookstore near me and I would go there and, you know, pick out eight or 10 horror books and bring them back to a little table in the coffee shop. And, um, I just never, nothing, I didn't like any of it, you know what I mean? And I mm -hmm. wanted to, I wanted to read more horror. And then one day this Borders bookstore had a Thomas Ligotti book. Uh, and suddenly, you know, you pick that up 
after putting down, uh, you know, some sort of contemporary slasher or something like that. And you immediately see there's something uh, different going on and something more, um, um, more almost poetic, um, or just the writing, the, the level and the quality of the writing is so high. Um, and that's what resonated with me and what inspired me, I think, to, to aim for that level. And it, it's great to see that there are contemporary writers, um, writing at that, at that high level as the ones I mentioned, and, you know, dozens of others I probably haven't thought of, uh, Gemma Files, um, S.P. Miskowski, um, just a lot of great writers out there right now. You just listed literally, like, if you were to open up my iPad right now, it's all entries from literally every author you just named, and yourself included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, you know, there, there are some great, um, great people working. It's a great time to be writing. It's a great time to be a reader of, uh, of horror fiction. I think uh, there was kind of a heyday of, of weird uh, and strange fiction uh, within the past bunch of years. And right now I think that, that, that it's tilting more towards the extreme on um, Splatterpunk as far as what's getting attention. But where that's not necessarily my sort of, not where my interest lies, um, it's just great to see horror uh, doing so well. And, uh, you know, a lot of those, those folks are my friends and, um, you know, I can appreciate what they do. For sure. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I've always been, excuse me, um, just so the movie, a, a perfect example of how I feel on, on this topic, you know, the movie Hereditary. Yeah. Everybody loves that movie. Everybody, and I think it, I personally, I'll just get it out of the way. I thought it, I think it is very overrated as a horror film. I think it is a masterfully made film from a technical standpoint. I think it's almost flawless, but I'm very glad that it did as well as it did because it's, it pushed the genre forward. And I like, I love anything that I guess just builds up horror more. I just horror has become such a part of like me that it just makes me so happy whenever anything elevates it even more. Yeah. And I, I think I, I like that one a bit more than, than you did. I think. Um, and the funny thing is that even the people who, who like it uh, for some reason don't like the ending. Whereas I think the ending is like this perfect symphonic level of just like utter bizarre horror. Um, and uh but yeah, I, I mean that you know the, that aside, I agree with what you're saying. It's very good to see uh, stranger horror movies out there that aren't just um, you know these sort of blue filtered generic uh, horror movies that just bore the hell out of you. But you've got now um, um, terrified and. What's the what's the new one that everyone uh, has been talking about? Um, where uh, evil lurks is that right? Something I believe like that? so. Yeah, yes, that sounds one. familiar. Yeah, that was really great. Um, I haven't well, seen that one yet. Yeah, get get yourself in front of that television. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, um, yeah, it's good to see movies doing uh, daring and different uh, things. Um, I think a lot of people in, uh, in this I really like, you know, those bizarre 80s horror movies where 
they were just all over the place and very sort of lurid and, uh, um, you know, and not necessarily the slashers, but just the really, really weird stuff, the Stuart Gordon stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, just, uh, <laughs> just out there daring different, um, uh, inventive or yeah Stuart gordon was he reanimator yeah yeah okay yeah yeah and from beyond and uh right Dagon. yeah 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 all those old lovecraft adaptations yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah it's weird that like and i get why but you never really see true lovecraft adaptations as such it's... no they always have to make it strangely contemporary or try to put more of a plotted framework on top of it that doesn't always work. Um, yeah, it, it's a, I think it's difficult. It, it must be difficult. I mean, in my head, I, I've never written it down, but in my head, I have like the perfect screenplay for Lovecraft's rats in the walls. Uh, I don't know how to do that movie. You know what I mean? And, uh, I, I don't think anyone will ever do it the way that, um, the way that I think it should be done if it ever does get done. Um, but yeah, it's, I think people try too hard when adapting Lovecraft and they don't want to lose people with the weirdness. And and I think to me, the more successful Lovecraft adaptation would be the more faithful as, um, unintuitive as that is. Um, I just think, that that would work. It doesn't always work with every with every writer with adapting every writer, but with that with Lovecraft, I think it would uh, it would serve the movie to to hew sure. a little hew a little closer to the uh, um, and don't add contemporary dialogue, you know, and mm. and, uh, and all that nonsense. <laughs> I agree. Like Lovecraft, definitely, it has the feel of the time and place that it was written. I feel yeah. like, and that it's very specific to that location in that time period. And if you were yeah. to make it like, uh, I, in my opinion, the best Lovecraft adaptation has been, uh, did you see cabinet of curiosities? Yes. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, not dreams in the witch Pickman's model. Pickman's model. I, I, I can't agree with you there. I didn't, no. it didn't work for me. See, uh, I know was that they... the one that, uh, the Crispin Glover was it. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I know they changed stuff, but like, I felt that they really captured kind of like the, the madness of, of everything that was going on in there. And yeah, yeah. I'll have to give that another look. We've got a cat intruding on the video here, so uh, hopefully he won't knock the phone over. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah. So, but a a lot of, uh, cabinet of curiosities was, was fantastic and they definitely got a lot of the, the look and feel of old horror and weird fiction. Um, the, the rats, the one with the rats, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was that graveyard rats. Yeah. Phenomenally done. Um, and, uh, but to me, the most successful, uh, Lovecraft, yep, there goes the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man. Yeah. I tell you the, um, the most successful one I've seen is whisperer in darkness. Um, by the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, Film Society, I believe mm-hmm. it's called. This is, uh, is that the silent film? No, they did Call of Cthulhu, which is that's a silent what, film. That's what it was, yeah. yes. Yeah, Yeah, but their Whisper in Darkness was, to me, uh, pretty faithful to the source material and uh, black and white, atmospheric, 
good dialogue, good effects for a low for a very low budget project, uh, and um, this the Miskatonic University scenes were beautiful, and they were filmed very near where I live at um, I'm going to forget in South Hadley, um, the college Mount Holyoke College. Oh, um, yeah, that is worth uh, worth seeking out. I, I I own a copy. I think it's probably the best the best one that I've seen. I'll give Pickman's model another look. Cause you know, when you first see something, yes. you have uh, expectations and, and sort of hopes for what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'll definitely give that another, give that another look. I, I do think that if they gave Guillermo del Toro the reins to do a feature length adaptation of, uh, at the mountains of madness, I think he would do it justice. Yeah. I think he would as well. Yeah. And he I know be... that's, He's he's had his eye on that for years, and it's yeah. it's always update, and then nothing for another three four years, and then an update that means nothing, and nothing for another couple <laughs> of years, and it's just uh, just make it happen. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a pleasant surprise if it ever actually does. Yeah, um, on the topic of not necessarily Lovecraft adaptations, but just Lovecraftian filmmaking, uh, there have been a lot of really good. Uh, Lovecraftian films I feel that have come out in the last like decade or so that have kind of captured the feel if not the actual you know like the properties within the Cthulhu mythos <laughs> and all that like uh The Endless by Benson yep. and Moorhead that is one yep. of my all-time favorite movies and I, that's you know the more I think about it and I'm thinking about it right now like that that's I think that might be in my top five favorite movies of all time yeah, I can I'm, see that. I might yeah, have just updated my list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I recently, uh, yeah, I, I recently bought that one. Um, very slowly, I buy my, you know, top tier movies. You know, I do the and, same uh, thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they they uh, have a very interesting uh, feel and uh, um, creativity to their movies that uh, is it makes them very worthy of uh, rewatching too. For sure. Yeah, and I love that all their all their stuff connects in yes. in either very tangential or very direct ways sometimes. And yeah, I, I love what they're doing. Yeah, it's cool. resolution uh, resolution was the first one I saw by them, and when I saw the endless, I didn't know that it was by the same people. Mm -hmm. And when it circled into the plot of the other movie, it was like I felt like now I have to stop watch resolution again and then uh, restart the endless you know i did the that, same thing dude. That in yes. mind. yeah yeah it's so good um yeah. and those guys have been getting really big they've been getting involved with really big franchises like they've done work for like marvel now mm. uh i want to say star wars too i think <laughs> Um, yeah, I like think get them out of that and back into their own. Hey, I'm yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But unless, I, I, unless it brings them money that allows them to do their uh, more personal projects, uh, yeah, for in that sure. Case, God, you know, God bless them. But. Yeah, I just well, what I was gonna say is like they did a couple episodes of Moon Knight, and uh -huh. they definitely brought their like signature weirdness to it and it was just so cool to see that like they didn't really get suffocated by like the marvel machine and it's, right, right it's very much a benson and moorhead episode or two of moon knight which i thought was awesome okay um another one is uh i'm sure you've seen it mandy oh yeah 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 i yep. 
that's one of those movies where if I can't think of anything to watch, that's usually what pops into my head first thing to watch. Yeah, and that's uh, the, the filmmaker is Panatos, Cosmos Panatos. Cosmato, yeah. Yeah, and he did uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow and mm-hmm. one and one of the uh, Cabinet of Curiosities episodes. In my mind, the best one, um, although I won't be able to think of the name of it at the moment. But uh, yep, I uh, I also can't yeah. think of it, but I know which one yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal piece. I I rewatch that from time to time. It's just uh, yeah, I really like his um, his particular uh, vision. And I'm always yeah, I'm very interested to see where he goes and what he does next. Me too. He has another, I think he has another film done. I can't remember what it is exactly, but they're, mm. I think they're just waiting on distribution. And I, yeah, I'm, he's one of those filmmakers that I will watch whatever he puts out as soon as he mm. puts it out, regardless yeah, of absolutely. the plot or anything. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So shifting directions a little bit. Um, thinking about all the different i guess kind of horror playgrounds you know be it camp crystal lake or haddonfield illinois um newt texas if you could play in any other horror playground if you could write a story set in another fictional universe or in another franchise where would you where would you go what would you do i would like to do uh and this is gonna sound and this is just off the top of my head. I might give a different answer if I thought about it for a while. But um, off the top of my head, I think the and this is not popular among a lot of my contempor- contemporaries. But the movie Scream, I really, really liked. I thought it had a lot of atmosphere, uh, some humor, some strangeness. I liked the second one as well, and I think it everything kind of plummeted after that. And um, I would I would love to sort of take that over and do something supernatural with it, um, like uh, just completely rework it, rework uh, the the look of it, um, and just yeah add like a supernatural element like uh, like the um, the killer is undead now or something like that and. Um, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I, I think a lot about the atmosphere of the of the first movie in particular. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think I would. Uh, I'd like to mess around there. Um, as much as I love the Halloween, uh, the first Halloween, the second one, and the third one, which had nothing to do with uh, any of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the rest of any of those, and I think that's pretty much a played out. Uh, played out concern um friday the 13th i never really cottoned to all that much um i appreciate its sort of importance in in uh uh horror history <laughs> um but yeah I, I would like to do something just just take scream and make it weird for sure for sure i it always seemed very ripe for having a supernatural element to it like yeah it's like the, I I think I said this on a different podcast before, but it always felt like Scream was written as having a supernatural element. And then at the last second, they decided to take it out and make it all yeah. like human based or whatever. Uh, right. So yeah, no, I feel you on that. And I, uh, I also have never been a big fan of like Friday the 13th. It, same with you. I definitely respect, you know, the importance it has to the genre, but it just, 
and I kind of disagree with you on Halloween. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here. Oh yeah, no, it's fine. I uh, what did you what do you think about like Rob Zombie's films? Uh, I only saw the first one, which I, I hated with a with an intense passion. <laughs> oh man, really? Yeah, sorry to say, uh, it just I didn't like giving the like just a sort of pasting on that sort of uh backstory and and rob zombie's aesthetic uh to it it just didn't to me it just it was tone deaf it was it missed everything that was good about the uh the original i just didn't like it and i've been told that the second one was better um and uh every once in a while i i think uh, i should check that out and see what it's about like i the only movie probably not a surprise the only rob zombie movie i really really liked was uh, lords of salem um, because Salem. because it wasn't your typical uh, Rob Zombie thing. It mm-hmm. was like this sort of uh, influence there of um, uh, who did Lair of the White Worm? Who was that director? Uh, um, I won't think of it. But uh, anyway, there was an inspir- He was inspired by different things there, and I, I like his sort of doing something different than uh, kind of like the. Ken Russell. Yeah, thank you, Ken Russell. Yeah. There was that influence in there, and I'd like to see him follow that a little more. And if, he apply, if he'd applied that sort of thing to his Halloweens, I might have been a little more interested. But, um, but you know, it's a big... Horror is a big tent, you know? We can't all like the same stuff. For so, sure. For sure. Yeah. That's why I never get mad when you know it's crazy i was talking to uh philip fricasse about this last week it's social media has gotten to the point where and for people who listen to this i don't mean to rehash what i talked about for the last episode but like it's gotten to the point where you can't not like something but you also can't like something (laughs) like if you say oh i really liked hereditary you'll get 10 people being like Wow, you like that? You have such shitty taste. You're a piece of shit. Kill yourself. And if you say, I don't like Hereditary, wow, you have horrible taste. How could you not like this brilliant movie? You're a piece of shit. Kill yourself. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's a bit much. I mean, and I even catch myself, like, if if somebody says they like something I I thought was terrible, I might go in and be like, I thought that was terrible. Mm -hmm. But it's never kind of in the context of, uh, you're a huge jerk or whatever. And I, I yeah. also, I think there's room for that kind of discussion, but it, it just, it's rarely respectful on social media. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's gotten to the point where you, you can't sort of um, uh, depart from the uh, the point of view of the original poster without being accused of sort of trying to wreck someone's good time. Yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting in the spirit of discussion to, to talk about the you know our, our differences in in uh, in what we like and don't like like I'm I'm probably one of like three people out of thousands upon thousands of horror creators who hated House of Usher uh, um, <laughs> Mike Flanagan's like like couldn't even uh, I thought it was miserably bad and so whenever someone posts about it now I refrain from going into the post and saying like what could you possibly have have liked about that? So occasionally I'll post my own thing about it just to, uh, to blow off a little, a little steam. <laughs> uh, and yet on the other hand, I really like Flanagan's um, midnight mass. 
Um, yes. I think he's I think he's better if he sticks to his own uh, ideas rather than like mining uh, classic works and then sort of um, ruining them is a bit harsh, <laughs> but like. <laughs> Like I don't like what he did with uh, Haunting of Hill House, and um, no, it had its moments. It had some, it had some actually some really effective stuff in it. But I just kind of wish like he pulled back on the references, called it something else, you know, um, and kind of let his own ideas run without like lashing them to this this classic work. Um, and I know I, I'm in the minority on this. Um, I'm reminded of it frequently when I'm, <laughs> when I'm on social media. Social media is probably ultimately, uh, it, it tends towards the unhealthy and unhelpful, but there's also such a wonderful ability to connect with, uh, with uh, consumers and creators of, of horror that I think ultimately that, uh, that, that uh, when we're at our best, <laughs> that outweighs the, uh, the um, kind of a, uh, people jumping all over each other about these things. Like it's important <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. It definitely, it has its uses for sure. And yeah. it's there. I've met a lot of incredible people and had a lot of extremely uh, beneficial conversations and just dialogues all over it. And, but yeah, it's just the concept of subjectivity is just waning every day. <laughs> it seems. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, so kind of to circle back a bit to uh, Legati before. So you are, as you said, very influenced by Legati uh, in in numerous ways. Um, what was the first Legati you read? Um, the, the, the book that was in that Borders that I talked about was um, uh, Shadow at the Bottom of the World. Mm-hmm. And I think... The first thing I looked at when I picked it up, I'm going to forget the name of the story, but I know early on in there was the um, Last Feast of Harlequin, yes. which is sort of peak Ligotti for me. Um, and But what, what really, I, I find that I don't as much like some of his earlier work as much as I like what is in Tedro Grotesco. Yes. Um, my work is not yet done. Um, and the, um, spectral link, uh, those to me are like just up there, you know, with just some of the best, Never mind horror fiction or weird fiction, just some of the best fiction, uh, I've ever read. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, what a unique voice. Yeah. So on that note, the spectral link, mm-hmm. that, that's the one that has the two novellas, correct? Yeah, the small so, people. Uh, you know, go ahead. The small people is the first Legati story I ever read. Is it really? Yeah. Um, I was. I remember I was working the late shift at at a catering job, waiting for this wedding to be over, and I sat in the lobby of this wedding venue, and I read this story, and I have never. There's very few stories that have ever given me like a physical, like a reaction that I could actually jot down. <laughs> the physical sensations I was feeling at the time. Uh-huh. And the small people is one of them. I have no idea what that story was trying to say. I can't tell <laughs> if like there's, I've read pretty much all the Legati I can get my hands on since then. And 
but with that one story, and I've talked to uh, John Paget about it too. He he gave me a very good rundown of his interpretation of the story. I just it it blew my mind. Like it was so different from anything I'd ever read. I couldn't tell if there was either a very heavy-handed like social commentary on it, a complete <laughs> lack of social commentary on it. If it was if it, if it meant ten different things that I thought it might mean, or if it meant none of them, it was just a weird ass story. Yeah. yeah, I just that is a story that was completely over my head, and I just I would love your thoughts on the small people. <laughs> I you know I, I'm with you. I I, I don't know. I, I could not give you a rundown like John Padgett gave you. Um, I and I haven't read it in a while. It's very far from fresh in my mind, but I, I just remember just the sheer difference between that and any other almost any other horror fiction you care to name. Um, yeah, it's just brilliant. And I think part of the brilliance is that you don't know, you know, what, what's, where is this going? What is he trying to do here? Is this, is this metaphorical or is this just to be taken at face value? Um, I like fiction that leaves you with that kind of question, um, rather than something that's a little more straightforward. And it's one of the reasons that something like, uh, extreme uh, and splatterpunk. Well, I, I can appreciate it, and I, I like some of it. Um, it doesn't do things to my brain <laughs> that uh, yeah. that bother me and that make me go back and think about them. I think, I mean, it can disturb me. It can uh, uh, titillate in some strange way. Um, I'm talking about extreme and, and splatterpunk and stuff. Um, it can re- revolt me, but I, I like stuff that uh, just sets off fireworks like what is happening here and yeah how is it so well expressed and yet so strangely obscure you know for sure Hmm. the uh do you know what i mean though when i when i say that there's stories that give me like a physical kind of reaction like the um another one that did it for me is are you familiar with scott nicolay yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Scott. Yeah. Um, he has this story called Eyes Exchange Bank. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That is one of the few stories I've ever read more than I, I don't know how many times I've read it. Like, usually right. I'll read, I, I usually read and watch everything twice if, you know, if I yes. really like it, just so I can, I get that first once over, I take it in. And then the second one, I really kind of pick it apart. That is another, yeah. that, that's another story that, like, I don't know if there's another story that has creeped me out in such a visceral way than Eyes Exchange Bank, but I have no idea why. Like, I don't get yeah. why it scares me, and that is like the perfect story to me. And yeah, I just, yeah I love Scott, that straight one. Did a, Scott sort of sneaks up on you with with the horror. It's a yeah, he's a very skillful uh, and strange writer. Definitely another unique, very unique voice. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I've he's another one that I've read everything of his I can get my hands on. You're another one yeah. too. I, everything of yours I've I've read. Uh, Gateways, Creeping Waves, the uh, the Omnibus. Uh, so you have another. Uh, the 2022 Omnibus is out now, or it's coming out. It is. It's coming out. I'm. Uh, I should be getting a proof copy in the mail um, sometime within the next week or so. Um, 
and uh, we've already the the printer and I have already noticed that they forgot my middle initial on the spine, so we already know one thing has got to get fixed. Uh, <laughs> Whoops! But uh, that's fine. That's a common uh, common error. Um, but yeah, it's going to look uh, uh, mainly like the first one did with um, you know the the front cover of say the January issue, and then all of the interior, and then the back cover when you you flip the last page, and then. Uh, all 12 months of worth of chapbooks collected in this one limited, very limited uh, hardcover. Um, yeah, and those are, um, there are the people who subscribed to the chapbooks in 2022, the people who picked like the top level subscription, they'll receive one for free. And then beyond that, there are 50 available for purchase to the public and we're down to four now. So um, selling out of those pretty pretty rapidly which is good <laughs> you never know <laughs> right. um, but um yeah and, and uh the omnibuses have all the illustrations from the chapbooks and uh it'll it'll make 2023 interesting because there are no illustrations at all um so that'll be a little probably a little easier to produce <laughs> than yeah. the uh, than the uh 2022 and uh and I'm going into 2024 now, so we'll see how that all plays out. But they, yeah, there'll be an omnibus for each year. Awesome, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on here and talking to me a bit. Uh, I, I just, I there's, I see you post on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff all the time, and I feel like there's so much stuff that we just. We're on the level on you and me. Oh yeah, and yeah. Just, and it's, I... it's interesting. It's interesting when you when you're on the same level, the differences. That's sort of fun to fun to talk about. So For at sure. some point we can at some point we can chat about. Uh, maybe I'll rewatch uh, Zombies Halloween and we can uh, have a discussion about uh, about you know what you saw in it that I didn't and, and vice versa. Or maybe I... maybe I'll like it a little more uh, next time around. For sure, and I'm definitely gonna check out. What was it? Whisper in Darkness. By the yes. HBL Film Society. Yes, I will for oh sure. Oh my god, it's so out. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can get a hold of that, I'm not sure. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but uh, okay. Uh, yeah, see, what you, see if you can track down a copy. For sure. All right, uh, yeah. Two two things. Yeah. One, who's the lady above your head? <laughs> uh, that is the the, the queen. Uh, the okay. Queen of England who recently uh, passed away. Uh, I was going through old letters and cards and that was actually like a card, uh, like a greeting card, uh, <laughs> that my, uh, at the time my roommate, uh, uh, gave me, I think. And, uh, I pulled that out and my wife's like, Oh my God. And she tacked it up on the, uh, on the, the back door of the apartment. So, <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. She, she hovers above me like a, like a thought bubble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like just it, happened dude. to be where my, where my, you know, <laughs> work areas set up so <laughs> that's yeah. great um and the second thing where can people find you if they want to check more of your stuff out uh they can find me on facebook at matthew m bartlett um they can find me at twitter at matt m bartlett um and basically uh using the google uh just google my name with the middle initial if you don't use the middle initial you'll get like uh, Republican strategists and uh, f uh, footballers and uh, sports commentators, uh, but if you put in the M and the the middle initial, you will get uh, my website and my books and interviews like this one. Awesome! All right, well, I really appreciate you talking to me, man, and I will be in touch and talk to you soon. All right, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Take care, buddy.